Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, we bring the funnies. We are looking at the best comedies of all time. Do get in touch because I'm sure you'll disagree, as you regularly do. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle. Or you can email us, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. And it's going to be repeated this bank holiday Monday at 6pm again because it's going to be a great show isn't it said he knowingly to Aoife Barry not a writer as it turns out her new book Social Capital will be out imminently and of course arts journalist and I'm also joined by Chris Wasser film critic and indeed arts journalist as well hello ladies and gentlemen hello Hello, John thanks for having us on thank you thank you you're ready to be funny yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so listen it may be can you say ladies first is that pejorative is I don't know. Is one meant to say that anymore? I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure you can, but I'll, I'll do it. I'll take it. Well, it turns out we don't have to because you've gone away and chosen your favourite funny movies and yet you've both, your first one, you agreed on and you wanted to do it, so I can't argue. So Aoife, what is the movie you and Chris have first in your favourite movies, favourite comedies of all time? Yeah, because all the way back to 1959, it's called Some Like It Hot and it's directed by the Hollywood legend uh, Billy Wilder. It stars a lot of Hollywood legends in it. Um, you've got Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis um, as two musicians who witness a mob hit and then have to kind of go into hiding and they do that by joining an all-female um, musical troupe which has one particular member who's uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, her name is Sugarcane. And you follow their adventures as they pretend to be women who are members of the salt female troupe and try not to get caught while falling in love with Sugarcane, um, as one of them does, and uh, while somebody else tries to fall in love with Jack Lemmon's character. And it's just, yeah, it's just a riot from start to finish, and it's got lots of heart in it, which I think you get with. with That's pretty well a very good snaps. That sounds like you were reading it off IMDb, but you weren't. I <laughs> no. can see. I'm staring you can at see, you. See, no. We that movie has topped uh, best films of all time many times, also best comedies of all time. I do a slot on this show most weeks where I talk to someone about their well known or their favourite movie. We've had to ban that one because it's been chosen so many times. <laughs> Chris, why do you think it's you know possibly the greatest comedy ever? Or certainly, a lot of people think it is. I think there are a few comedies that are as old as Some Like It Hot that have aged as well yeah. as Some yeah. Like It Hot. Um, and I think it's also extraordinary that for a film that was notoriously difficult to make, you you cannot. You, you you can't see the seams. You you can't spot the trouble. And there was a bit of trouble. I mean, every from something as slight as Tony Curtis just having a little bit of difficulty when you know he was dressed in the female character. Uh, the idea too that it might not work when they originally started it in color because they thought that uh, Billy Wilder and his team thought that Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis looked a bit too quote ghoulish <laughs> in all of the makeup and all of the the outfits. And then of course you know famously Marilyn Monroe forgetting lines and the pressure around her at that time. I mean, on set, she had her acting coach, Paula Strasberg. Uh, Arthur Miller, her husband, was with her at the time. Uh, she watching was from the sides. Watching yeah, from the sides, giving think. notes as well. Billy Wilder once said that when they would finish a take, instead of asking, you know, the actors what they thought, he would turn to Paula and say, how was that for you, Paula? <laughs> uh, so it was very difficult to make. Marlon forgetting her lines too, because she did have quite a, a, a few issues at the time and she was addicted to pills and she was unfortunately forgetting her lines. All of this trouble behind the scenes you know, scenes, uh, you know, take after take after take, and then you watch it, you can't see that. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest cinematic magic trick ever pulled. Something that was so difficult is so natural, so funny. It's very, very well put together. Watched it again recently, and there's very little of it 
that you know is problematic you yeah. know it's still quite funny it's still quite fresh I love it and when you yeah. say problematic as in there's nothing when we look back with 2023 eyes that is deeply upsetting about the time and the place or I don't think so I don't think so and I think even in this I, I look at that famous ending look at when you know Jack Lemmon's character realises that you know his suitor all along may have known that he was in fact male and this line nobody's perfect it sums up what I love about the film it sums up the idea to, it sums up the, the fact too that it is at, at, at its heart a romantic comedy yeah. and I think it's very good at depicting this idea that you know in order to fall in love or, or when you or when you first start dating someone there's an element of illusion involved and everyone in this story is trying to be someone or something that they're yeah. not to kind of you know get get ahead whether that's you know professionally or ahead of gangsters or even with someone that they, that they want to yeah. be with and it's very good in, in, in this you know this is 64 years ago the idea that you know, there's a male character on screen saying that I knew you were male all along. That's quite progressive yeah, for the I time. Yeah, I thought of that. Aoife, yeah. you go along with most of that because you're nodding along. Yeah, and I realise it's your favourite movie as well, so. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, what Chris is saying about all the background stories, so interesting. There's really good um, behind the scenes kind of or documentaries about the making of it on online that you can watch um, that are really fascinating. And, you know, thinking about poor Marilyn Monroe and all the personal stuff that she was going through at the time. And, you know, there were some clips where she would take something like 40, 50 goes to say a line like, what is it about um, the big fish that's, that's Stuck up, stuck up on the ceiling at one point and yet at the same time she could nail a really yeah. really funny bit really really easily in one take um, and she just had that that way that she kind of talks like there's nobody like her nobody mm-hmm. um, spoke like her nobody really you know had the charisma that she, yeah. was, she was supposed to have um, and it's just interesting to, to see what feels like a very light film actually having that kind of heaviness mm-hmm. behind it too um, but I do agree that it's that the, the gender aspect of it it could have really aged really badly mm-hmm. you know you could they could like have a done Benny you know, Hill kind of he's wearing completely a yeah, and yeah. I, I feel like as a woman watching it you don't feel like you're made, being made fun of at yeah. any point I think that's the key yeah. to it that the female characters they the two male characters you know who are two you know amazing actors they they don't make fun of women during it and they don't there is obviously this it's a farce it's a screwball comedy so you have all those elements to it but you don't feel like they don't like women at any point yeah. they really admire them they kind of look up to them in a way and they like being in the you know in the, in the scenes of the train they like being part of this kind of female female group and seeing seeing what's happening so I, I think I appreciated the fact that it hasn't aged badly um, and that you can kind of conv- kind of uh, forgive any of the, the the stuff from its time that, yeah. that, that, that crops up but it's just so funny and it's just really sweet and um, um, you know, there's lovely musical parts in it yeah. too as well. Um, and I think like, yeah, it's it's there's a reason why it's still consistently up there even yeah. with that. And we are, so. for listeners, talking about the best comedies of all time. And, you know, there aren't that many movies that, ma- when you think about it, and you guys know as well as I do, that make you genuinely howl, yeah. you know, with laughter. Some movies are funny and clever and all, but that belly laugh, there aren't actually that many in my experience. And this has them. Now, it's not a democracy. I chose all the clips for this and just <laughs> told you to come into the studio. Unfortunately, this doesn't have Marilyn Monroe. It was just what is available to me at the time. Don't blame me. I'm only the piano player. But here is the great uh, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis in some Like It Hot. What's the matter now? How do they walk in these things? Huh? How do they keep their balance? It must be the way the weight is distributed now. Come on. It is so drafty. They must be catching cold all the time, huh? Will you quit stalling? We're going to miss the train. I feel naked. I feel like everybody's staring at me. With those legs, are you crazy? Now, come on. 
with those legs are you crazy <laughs> now that was some like it hot our first choice in the best comedies of all time which we're looking at on this week's screen time now we're going to do one each but because you both chose the first one together going to my first choice now listeners on this show are bored of me talking about this movie because I maintain it's the greatest comedy of all time and I've mentioned it I'd say once every month for the last four years so forgive me regular listeners but the odd couple to my mind is one of the funniest films ever made if not the funniest and I'll tell you why Walter Matthau you know they talk about hit rates in comedy how often there is a laugh if you look at Walter Matthau's dialogue practically every line is a one-liner of sorts. For people who don't know, it is about Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Jack Lemmon is an uptight, anal, I think he's a newsreader or he, he collates the news for a TV channel. His wife kicks him out and he goes to live with his best friend. They're inconceivably best friends because Walter <laughs> Matthau is an utter slob who has, he, he, he describes the meat in his fridge by the colour. He doesn't say whether it's turkey or ham, it's what colour meat oh, it is. <laughs> And they decide to move in together and hilarity and a friendship falls apart and then comes back together. It is a sheer delight that I kind of put on when I want to cheer myself up. Now, I'm not sure. I think it still stands up and there isn't anything troubling about it at all because it was based on a stage play by Neil Simon and it's really two guys in a room more or less. So I, it's still it's still fine to view from this age. But I find it genuinely one of the funniest things ever, primarily because because of Walter Matthew. Have either of you seen it? Because I got, I think I got a lukewarm response when I suggested it. <laughs> we were I'm both talking sure. about yep. it before. And I feel oh, like good. if I did it was when I was way younger and I've definitely, Same. like, because it's, it's such a famous film I can't figure out why I've probably only seen clips of it or watched it. Yeah. And, and like, Walter Matthew is one of those, like, kind of elastic faced uh, comedians yes. as well like he's great in 70 always oh, looked ancient he's never young. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you've seen A New Leaf, the Elaine yes. May comedy that he's in. He's just... Chef's kiss in that, um, so good. But yeah, and I think that the pair of them, you can see why they would work so well together yeah. because Jack Lemon is that nervy kind of person, but also really like a softy at the same time. And whereas Walter Matthau is kind of a domineering figure, I suppose. So you kind of the idea of having them, um, the two of them both being really good friends, but also being the odd couple where they <laughs> they are very different. Um, you can see why that those kind of. I was going to say fish out of water, but that's not quite. Maybe Jack Lemmon is the fish out of water in that, yeah. in that circumstance. To an extent. Those work, yeah. Chris, have you seen it? I feel as I feel I have seen enough of it to understand, you know, the cultural <laughs> references ever yeah. since, or to 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 get who the characters are. I feel as though that, and also incidentally, um, some like it hot. Mm. We're probably on on a Saturday afternoon, yeah. you know, that and I would have seen bits and pieces with my nana and granddad at the time. Mm. Some like it hot was one that obviously kind of I don't know there was something something struck there where I wanted to go back and revisit it. Um, I want to do the same with the odd couple, but John, sorry to horrify you, I haven't yet since. Oh dear. Well, let me remind people. All right, Oscar, I'd like to know what's happened. What's happened? Something made you go off the deep end like that. Now, what is it? Is it something I said or something I did? Nothing you said. Now, don't stop me, Felix. Oscar, what is it? Is it the cooking or the cleaning, the crying? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's the cooking, the cleaning, the crying. It's the talking in your sleep. It's those moose calls that open your ears at 2 o'clock in the morning. Can't take it anymore, Felix. I'm cracking up. Everything you do irritates me. And when you're not here, the things I know you're going to do when you come in irritate me. You leave me little notes on my pillow. Told you 158 times I cannot stand little notes on my pillow. 
We are all out of cornflakes, F.U. Took me three hours to figure out that F.U. was Felix Unger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're laughing. And it is peppered with all those. I'll have a drambouille with crushed ice. Unless you don't have any crushed ice. I was up all night with a sledgehammer. Why don't I just do the... No. But it, Act it all out for a Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've spoken many times in that movie, so we won't, we won't linger anymore. If you've just tuned in, we're looking at the best comedies of all time here on Screen Time. I'm joined by Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry. Aoife, let's take your second choice, which is Clueless. And why don't we start with a clip of that? Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Elisa Silverstone there from Clueless, which is some kind of reworking of the Jane Austen. Emma. Emma. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it came out in 1995, directed by Amy Heckerling, who did, you know, Fast Times in Bridgemont High and Look Who's Talking, which for some reason myself and my siblings watched loads of. And yeah. We were way too young to watch Look Who's Talking. The one about like the baby talking with Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah and it I opens with like sperm on the, like, on the screen. It's very adult, but we loved it. Um, <laughs> uh, Amy, and Amy, Amy Heckerling is really cool. She's really kind of like a punk rock director. She's, she's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just I wasn't quite a teenager when Clueless came out but to say myself and the girls in school were obsessed with this film like yeah. we all had fluffy pens like Cher has um, That's Alicia Silverstone's character Yeah Alicia Silverstone's character Cher Horowitz um, we had fluffy pens like her in school um, you know we used to say like all the time we used to say things like way harsh tie in fact <laughs> I still say way harsh tie about stuff uh, rolling with the homies we'd be singing that so it had such a massive cultural impact Um it's such a great film because it's about, you know, these rich gang of teenagers who are in a school in Beverly Hills. Um, you know, Cher is, you know, she's got a really kind of a, a tough uh, litigator for her father. She she's kind of a person who's very aware of things around her at the same time is very kind of clueless as the name suggests about things around her too as you can hear from that that clip where she says Haitians instead of Haitians um, and yet she has some really good ideas about it. why can't we all just, just get along she takes on her friend um, Ty as a project to, you know Brittany Murphy the, the actress plays her tragically died very young she takes her on as a project and the whole film is just a really lovely feel good film about somebody who's trying to kind of find themselves and they don't really, really realise that they're kind of lost in the sense that Cher kind of is where she's young figuring her, her way around the world some of the lines are just so hilarious there's, there's one um, bit where Cher is telling her dad about plans for the weekend to Malibu and he refers to these kind of you know who are these scumbags getting in touch getting in touch with us and she's like daddy they're your parents you know those, those <laughs> kind of lines that like are just going to throw away um, but I just think the impact of this was just absolutely massive there was a short lived TV show which I never saw as well so oh, they yes. did try to, to kind of squeeze a lot of the juice out um, 
out of the out of the lemon yeah. there. Um, but I think but it was satire as well of that yeah. kind of nine oh two Beverly Hills or whatever that show was called. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It was trying to you know take the mick out of these super rich people who are actually you know a little bit dozy in their own way. Um, but it also showed you know some of the some of the characters in it who Cher looked down on were like the stoners, the skateboarders, and in the end they all end up really good friends. You know, mm. and there was really prominent African American characters yeah. in it. Her best friend Dion, um, played by Stacey Dash. You know, and that was really really important and progressive for its yeah, time it's a really yeah. lovely diverse cast and I think it just showed a lot of really great possible things um, in terms of like you know female directors as well um, getting a chance to make a really a really big big film so I always hold this film very close to my heart <laughs> it's great and Chris did you want to include this yourself or am I I did I did I love Clueless yeah I think it was so ahead of its time that the characters actually realised a good 30 years before we did that yeah. Paul Rudd is the perfect man you know <laughs> like we share Paul Rudd is in it well, yeah, the, the first film role Despite the fact that, how old is Paul Rhodes' character and how old is she in this? That is one That's thing. That's a little bit and of a tricky... And stepbrother, stepsister as well, so aren't yeah. they? Yeah, I mean, so let's, let's steps, not go into yeah. that. Okay, okay, sorry to bring yeah. it down there. Um, but no, no, way to go, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it is very funny. And it also had a huge impact on teen comedies around mm. that time because Amy Heckerlin, you know, she didn't set out to make, you know, a contemporary Austin film. But that's a, it, was, it, was a, it was just a glorious accident, basically, that that happened. Um, but other screenwriters and, and studios, you know, they, they copped what, what had happened yeah. there and they started looking at classic texts when it came to, you know, uh, uh, modern teen uh, comedies or mo- modern teen romantic comedies. So look at 10 Things I Hate About You, which had, you know, a Shakespeare background. Look Amy at, uh, even yeah. look at like Cruel Intentions, which yeah. is based on a classic French text. Uh, the, 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 we'll, yeah. we'll call it Dangerous Liaisons. I'm not going <laughs> to mention it. Dangerous or something. Probably got a preference uh, there. So it had, a, it had a huge impact. I think what it did better though than the films that followed is that it had an extraordinarily likable characters. Yeah. They mm-hmm. shouldn't be as likable as they are but I think a lot of that falls down to the writing and also the talent behind them yeah. you mentioned Brittany Murphy there Donald Faison and of course Lisa Silverstone who I don't think has ever been better great actors you, uh, great characters just so likable yeah no it's a great movie I was, I was watching clips of it this morning I really feel like rewatching. I think she had just done the Aerosmith video for crazy yeah. but that was the only thing she'd done that's before. it exactly yeah. and Amy Herkeling saw her in those videos right. on MTV you know because you know I mean like she's beautiful to look at she couldn't help but notice her and then wanted her to be this character of Cher and I yeah. think Alicia Alicia Silverstone has a really interesting way of being Cher where yes. she's got this like naivety about her but she really wants the best out of things mm-hmm. and I think she played a character who could have been really dislikable and, and a little bit snobby in a really you know, down to earth way, and I think mm. that's why you know young teenage girls really, really liked her. You know, she became a bit of a hero to us. And she's ways. also very funny, which is the whole point yeah, of this special screen time, funny. which you're listening to. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, Groundhog Day of sorts. You're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm in studio with uh, Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry and we are nominating our favourite, the best comedies of all time, the movies that make us laugh out loud. Chris, it's your turn and a movie that I, I could have gone for as well and was going to, but you have. It is what? It is Groundhog Day, a film that when I first saw John uh, as a kid scared the hell out of me. Um, and that's why I think really? that, yeah, what that's an what, odd reaction it's <laughs> Groundhogs yeah, yeah I just I think uh, and that's one of the reasons that I like it whenever anyone asks me why Groundhog Day is one of my favourite films I tell them that the, it, it has this perfect combination of uh, horror 
uh, existential horror, existential uh, horror, uh, yes. drama, romance, comedy. There's a little bit of everything in there, and it works very well in every respect. And and it's just that the, the the film that we got was was not the one that that Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin actually set out to make. Yeah. And I kind of do wonder what it would have looked like if Danny Rubin had gotten his way that he wanted to make this film about this guy just in, you know almost as close to a horror as possible about this guy who just is trapped in the same day over and over. But Harold Ramis brought a little bit of comedy to it. Bill Murray wanted to have something dark there, but we got you know. Some something that they were all very happy with and I think as well like in, in terms of it, it is a romantic comedy it doesn't sound like a romantic comedy in the face of it and for anyone who has never I, I do believe there are some people who have never watched Groundhog Day before if you were going in and you read the synopsis you would think that's not going to be very romantic but it is and a lot of the films that we're looking at today are rom-coms but this is one of them that remembers to be you know both romantic and funny yes it's a little bit problematic that you know Bill Murray's film is essentially learning things about Andy McDowell's character and you know he's kind of he's gaslighting her he is you know manipulating her the whole way through but he does at some point realize this is wrong and it's just going to have to work naturally and we're going to have to build up a natural rapport over how many years that he's trapped in that day um so there's an awful lot to like about the romance side of things as a comedy though it is so good and how many other comedies get the chance to try and perfect a laugh well hold that thought because when he's attempting to woo uh, Andy McDowell's character, this is one of the funniest bits in that wooing. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. I mean, for someone else, that would be an incredible waste of time. It's so bold of you to choose that. It's incredible. You must be a very, very strong person. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimera sera comme bon vin, que c'est bon fier un peu chaque matin. You speak French. Oui. Oh, wonderful. And the thing that I love about that movie, and you're right, it is slightly, well, you know, troubling the idea that he's going to devote his time to mm. gaslighting Annie McDowell and, and mm. observing everything she does. But at, at heart, it's it's quite philosophical because it's saying two things. One, it's saying that this guy has to change. It's yeah. a metaphor that we're all living the same day over again unless we actually take control of who we are. And more interestingly, I think, and this sounds like a, you know, Judeo-Christianism or something, but it's saying that you know, the myth of living forever in a way, because he has that and he becomes lost, existentially bereft, because it points out if you did get to live every day again and again and again, you'd be miserable in the end because ultimate choice is kind of ultimate jail. Anyway, I'm getting yeah. too heavy. No, this is meant though. to be a show about comedy. No, I mean, there is this idea that he believes uh, at one point that if he's kind to everyone and if he's a better person, then he'll make it out of the day. But I don't even think that that's what breaks him out of the day in the end. I think he's just enjoying this day as though it's his last. His last day is great. I actually think it's, it's a Christmas carol. And yeah, although Bill yeah. Murray, he did, you know, he did make a Scrooge film. He made yeah. Scrooge. This is probably one of the best Scrooge films ever made. Yeah, it's, I've never thought of I've yeah, thought a lot point. about Groundhog Day and I've never thought about it that yeah. way. You might have to come in again. <laughs> Aoife, I, I hope you're a fan. It might oh, be yeah. hard for you to stay in the room if you're not. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think of Bill Murray as well to me. There's always a sense of oh, not menace but there's always a dark side to Bill Murray, I think, yeah. you know. And he's really funny but he's kind of funny because he 
doesn't really care about what other yeah. people think of him and yet you feel like deep down he maybe really does care what people think about him yeah. so he's this curious character and I think he's perfect for a film like this and I really loved when I first watched it years and years ago just that idea of the day being repeated yeah. over and over again there's something so deliciously exciting yeah. about that um, you know and seeing how he adjusts himself depending on the day and that he's not necessarily the nicest person he doesn't do the best things no. and he does get into gaslighting which which we don't really enjoy no. um, but there is a life lesson in there and it kind of is we don't you know we don't live forever and you kind of once he like that accepts his human condition then all mm. of a sudden things improve for him so yeah I haven't watched it in ages but it's, it's such yeah it's a total classic I have the most underwhelming Bill Murray story oh, really? of all time of meeting him and then I adore Bill Murray I, he does world weary like no one yeah, else world it's, weary, it, yeah. it's just amazing but I tell people this, oh did you interview him on some junket no I was a pimply 19 year old working in a country club in uh, upstate New York golf country club place and he was in he was a member and he was there and I got to serve him wow. and I had a name badge and he said hi John I'll have a sea breeze and I gave it to him and I didn't know what to say and I left and it's like I met Bill Murray once and it's the worst story ever because nothing happened but anyway there you go no, You I can like hear that. him saying it though in his yeah. voice like yeah. ah, John yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. yeah, you know exactly. very laconically uh, speaking so very yes. good There you go my yeah. underwhelming Bill Murray story which people have heard before so let's move on Now we get to one of my choices This is Spinal Tap People actually think the movie is called Spinal Tap but technically it's called This is Spinal Tap for those of you who don't know, this is Spinal Tap. Let's just call it Spinal Tap. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Is possibly the first proper mockumentary, a rock mockumentary of all time. And it's this fictional band called Spinal Tap who are on an American tour and it's aping movies like The Last Waltz and these kind of bloated, you know, the song remains the same by Led Zeppelin where these monsters of rock were making these movies about themselves and how great they supposedly were. And Spinal Tap are this band and I... The characters always, the name always confuses me. But Michael uh, McKean plays David St. Hubbins. I always get that wrong. And we have Christopher Guest as Nigel Tufnell, who are in essence, Harry Shears is in there as well. But they are the lead singer and the guitarist in the band. And there are a list of scenes in it that we could just spend years on from them sitting there in the interview and their reviews being read back to them and they're going well they're just nitpicking there when the guy goes this is a notch below bullshit and there are endless quotable scenes and quotable moments like where one of the characters they have this idea that they're all going to get trapped or they're all going to be in these glass domes and they're going to break out of them and the bass player can't get out of his for the (laughs) entire song it goes on and on and on again perhaps the most famous scene or that's off quoted by pimply teenagers from the 90s is this one this is a top to a you know what we use on stage but it's very very special because if you can see yeah the numbers all go to 11 look right across the board oh. 11 oh, 11 and most of 11 and then amps go up to 10 exactly does that mean it's louder is it any louder well it's one louder isn't it it's not 10 you see, most most blokes are going to be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. 
this goes to 11. That is Christopher Guest as the great Nigel Tufnell in This Is Spinal Tap. It was Rob Reiner's first movie, actually. And he's the mockumentary, mockumentary maker in this. And he's just aghast at all that goes on. And there is actually, people forget, a kind of heartfelt story in it towards the end because the band are having this disastrous tour where everything that could go wrong could possibly go wrong and they break up not to give a spoiler and they come back together and there's actually a lot of heart in it but I mean it is belly laughs first and foremost and incidentally and I'll let both of you in but I'm a wild enthusiast for this movie (laughs) there is a real life film called Anvil which you both might have seen about an actual kind of death slash heavy metal band from the 80s who come back in the mid noughties and it is almost like they're doing a Spinal Tap but it's a true story and it was all filmed there but anyway This Is Spinal Tap is one of the greatest comedies ever made without doubt because I was howling just getting the clips this morning I presume you've both seen it oh yeah, yeah. are you fans yeah and I think um, it's the thing thing about This Is Spinal Tap it's such an iconic um, film for music fans so I yes. think when you're a teenage music fan yeah. you'd hear about this film that you know the, the Turn It Up To Eleven joke or you'd maybe hear even hear the joke by Turn It Up To Eleven yeah. and not know where it's yeah. from and you know before I saw it when I, I think I saw it when I was a maybe teenager early 20s um, it was amazing to kind of see all of these things that you really can make fun of that yeah. are completely ridiculous about the music world and about how musicians see themselves being parodied you know <laughs> and, and someone like Chris for Gesson who goes on to have an amazing yeah. career in the mockumentary world and yeah. really introduced us I suppose to a lot of, a lot of great mockumentaries um, People yeah, know I just, Best in Show Best in Show exactly and um, yeah no I, I just love how it takes the mick out of things that really should be taken taking the mick out of, out of particularly because some musicians take themselves so utterly seriously yes. and do believe they are the world's most important people and this breaks down those really wonderfully and I'm really due a rewatch of it as well because I watched it this week again and and just held and we haven't even mentioned the airport security scene (laughs) he has to take something out of his trousers because it keeps going up and uh, I won't say the name of the song but when he composes the song on piano that sounds absolutely beautiful has a very obscene uh, name as well see it's just endlessly (laughs) quotable there are so many scenes in that we go oh remember that remember that remember that I hope you're a fan Chris it's unfair to say it to you now the two of us oh definitely I'm also thinking the the sixth degree of separation and this conversation is unreal Rob Reiner directed Christopher Guest who married Tony Curtis's daughter Jamie Lee yes, Curtis and, yeah. yeah so um, there's one for, for yeah, and I met Bill yeah. Murray in a country met, club yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there are very few rock and roll films that are so influential as to actually influence the rock and roll vocabulary and Spinal Tap is yeah, one of them you know, know you can, you can yeah. say that even like yeah. you know the, and the, the, the 11 quote and people don't need to know that it's from Spinal Tap exactly yeah. um, I, I do it it's about as perfect a comedy as you as yeah. you could hope for. I wish they hadn't come back a few years ago, John. Oh, I know, I know. No, did we don't. We're not. We're, we're just going to pretend that, 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 that never happened. Exactly. Yeah. Let's do a Groundhog Day. And that yeah. didn't happen. Incidentally, I mentioned the slot on this show where I talk to people about their favorite movie. Uh, Patrick McDonnell, who played Owen McLove in Father Ted, he chose that as his favorite movie, and he spoke about it so beautifully. And it's always a sign of just how important a movie can be that he literally at one point. I think he grew up in Drogheda under a dog. Forgive my, forgive my geographical uh, lack of knowledge there. But he talked about watching it every day on VHS for a certain period of time in his life to the point <laughs> his parents, like he has this thing where he says, his parents sort of saying to him, you're weird. 
you're weird. But but he he absolutely loves it. He he also has the un- un- unlikely distinction of at his mother's funeral, people shouting out lines of Father Ted dialogue. Oh my God, wow. let's not That's get cultural into that. impact right I there. I tell you, yeah. I tell you. So that was this is Spinal Tap, which I urge you to watch. Uh, it is one of the best comedies ever. Which is what we're talking about. I'm joined by Chris Wasser and Eva Barry, and we're chartling, or I should say. What's the word I'm looking for? Hurtling. We're hurtling through. <laughs> there you go, Eve. We're hurtling through some of the best comedies of all time. If you'd like to join the conversation, as they say on this radio station, you can get in touch. Screen time at newstalk.com is the email address or my Twitter handle is John underscore Fardy. I'm sure there's loads we're missing out, but such is the nature of a one hour radio show. We will be back after the break with some more of our best comedies. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show and we're bringing you a special this week where we're looking at some of the greatest comedies of all time. I'm joined by Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry. Chris Wasser is a film critic and arts journalist. Aoife Barry is also an arts journalist and her new book Social Capital will be out on what date? It's out on the 27th of April. Available to pre-order now? Yes, you can pre-order now. If you go to uh, my Twitter account <laughs> SweetOblivion26 you'll find a link. And a link it's there. all about... It's actually a non-fiction book about yes. social media so about how we live online now um, taking a bit of my own story about uh, being obsessed with being online as a teenager um, and then also kind of all the, the kind of terrible things that can happen to us Indeed. on social media these days so a yeah. riot of a read Well listen that's a nice subway because <laughs> our subway into uh, a riot which we're having here looking at our yeah. favourite comedies So Aoife actually back to you and maybe will we start with a clip of this Yeah let's take a clip of this Hey How's it going? It's going great It's going great I'm on the mend you know, I just got some pins in my legs. Oh. Believe it or not, pins in my legs can still do this. All <laughs> right, a mate fell off a cruise ship. Oh, but I'm back. Shit. I'm ba- yeah, oh shit. Yeah, oh shit. Took a hard, hard, violent fall. Kind of pinballed down. Hit a lot of railings. Broke a lot of shit. I didn't. I'm not gonna say I survived. I'm gonna say I thrived. I met a dolphin down there, and I swear to God that dolphin looked not at me, but into my soul into my goddamn soul, Annie, and said, I'm saving you, Megan. Not with his mouth, but he said it, I'm assuming telepathically. We had a connection that I don't even know if I can, oh, jeez. Hey, shut my mouth, look at, unbelievable. You must be Annie's fella, I'm Megan. It's a pleasure. Oh, he's not. uh, I'm not. He's not. I'm not with him. All right. I'm glad he's single because I'm going to climb that like a tree. (laughs) And that was, of course, the wonderful Melissa McCarthy from the equally wonderful Bridesmaids. Oh, and what we should say, you can't see it, but the person standing beside her was a very tall elderly gentleman who was highly unlikely to be her boyfriend or partner and yeah. Melissa McCarthy wants to climb him like a tree. Yeah, and it's the second time that's happened to her in quick succession <laughs> where the camera's gone from close-up to slightly wider uh, shot and people gone, this your husband? And there's just random <laughs> man standing next to Christian Wiig's character and she's kind of like, no, I don't know this person. <laughs> I'm going to let you tell us all about why it's wonderful, but me and Chris are howling laughing there. Yeah. It's all about bridesmaids, obviously, and a female friendship and all, mm-hmm. but it's, it's in no way a woman's film. No, I mean, I, I don't believe in like, you know, women's films or no, men's I films. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, there are some audiences that are maybe more receptive to things yes. than others. And this this film, 
was interesting because Kristen Wiig wrote it with her friend Annie Momolo and they're you know two women writing about their experiences of being basically kind of poor and your friend's a bridesmaid and you have to like turn up at, at the wedding and, and or turn up and help help arrange everything and you're maybe struggling to deal with that life so that's appealing to, yeah. to women who've been through that yes. um, and then you've Judd Apatow, Apatow comes on board as one as producer and you've Paul Feig comes on as a director and Judd, Judd Apatow definitely brought in a bit more of the kind of raunchy sensibility yeah. um, and the style of jokes you'd see in the t- types of comedies that he would tend to produce into it so you have the story about Annie who is played by Kristen Wiig um, whose friend is getting married and she basically comes on board as part of the bridesmaids troop but she's a total mess of a human being like she just can't get it together at all um, th- and she has to go on, on a journey through this film in terms of her friendship and her own personal life and her romantic life and it's just I rewatched it again last night it's just so bloody funny yeah. Um but it does have bits in it that weren't in the original script like the bit where they all eat really dodgy food at a small restaurant that poor Annie has picked because she doesn't have a lot of money they all end up getting food poisoning while um, in the boutique trying to try on these very fancy um, dresses and they end up you know puking and everything all over the place it's disgusting but one of the funniest yeah. things uh, because they're at their they're, dress fitting they're at this dress fitting for, for the uh, for Lillian's for Lillian's wedding um, and it's just the contrast between the characters like there are such such distinct characters um, Melissa McCarthy who you heard there that was really her kind of big breakout yeah. role um, I just there's so much about this that I absolutely love from just the relationships to the funny lines um, and it was such a massive hit it cost something like 30 million to make made hundreds of million back and it really I think they saw it at the time as a bit of a litmus test going back to what you're asking about about whether quote unquote women's comedy you could actually make it on the big screen yeah. Um Thankfully, um, it did prove that that it could, and so and it's, you, know, you know, like I sound like a Hollywood executive or something, <laughs> but funny is funny, and it's yeah, genderless, yeah. really genuine yeah. humor. You know, I was yeah, watching Super Bad with my wife last night, which yeah. we'll get onto in a minute, and I turned to her and I said, "Like you like this too?" And she was like, "Of course I do. This is you know, yeah. and it is. It's genderless in a sense. Good, good jokes. Yeah, know? I think people will get certain things out of it. So sure. you know, two women might get the the female friendship a, yeah. a little bit differently, or, or they might not. You know." And there are those, you know, super bad is is probably much we'll get onto, but is more aimed probably at young young teen boys. But it's still really funny mm. if if you're into those kind of jokes. Um, so I think this is just a, a really great film that kicked off, you know, a period of time that you just saw more women in funny films that were aimed at a broader audience, um, yeah, and that were that little bit kind of uh, boundary pushing in terms of yeah. the jokes, in terms of how um, how wild and raunchy the yeah, jokes. The it's jokes could hilarious, get. and there's so many scenes. The toast off where they're trying to. Oh my oh, god, I just love that scene so much. And <laughs> toast each other uh, yeah. for their best friend's affection. I interviewed Paul Feig, and he said the defining kind of creative relationship of his life has been his with Melissa McCarthy like wow. he seemed to absolutely adore they made Spy yeah. one of the best comedies ever Spy's great Spy just is an underrated comedy absolutely yeah. Chris yeah. are you a fan of Bridesmaids oh absolutely no, it, it, it's, it's excellent I think the I can't imagine what it was like for a female writer performer comic at the time and having yeah. to put up with that super mm. conversation of this is the film that yeah. proves I think they even yeah. put something on the poster yeah. that chick flicks can be funny oh or they're not paid. and it's like are we just going to pretend that women weren't responsible for yeah. some of the greatest comedies ever made because that's just absurd I will say though it, I think it's probably the best from the Joe Apatow school mm-hmm. but it does have the same flaws which is that a lot of their films they're so long Yeah, it, it passes the two hour mark and it doesn't really need to it's, yeah. it's a lot better than Knocked Up than Funny People but I, I really wish I, I think Joe Apatow would have been just that and I know we're going on something else <laughs> I, I just I don't think comedies need to pass the two hour mark I don't even think they need to pass the 90 minute mark Ooh. 
there's a lot of stuff at the start, but I think that could have been cut. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, that's kind of scene setting and setting up relationships with her mother yeah. and things. And you're like, you could just get rid of that, get straight to the action. You just kind of want to see the the actual bridesmaids yeah. Yeah. Uh, troop themselves. You know, but it um, is extraordinarily yeah. relatable. Did this idea that you know you you might at some stage in your mid to late thirties go, oh, I don't have everything together, yeah. and how come all my friends have everything yeah. together? And of course you realise that they don't. They're all making it up as you go yes. along. So whether you're a man or a woman watching it, it is relatable. Absolutely. Definitely. And weddings and the preparation for weddings. And I say this yeah. with some experience can bring out all sorts of tensions <laughs> and all sorts of areas. Let's move on. So we did... Me- oh, and we should mention Chris O'Dowd. I think he's pretty Chris passable. Chris O'Dowd, yeah. He's Policeman. Good. Yes, and he has his Irish accent in it, which yeah. I always think is key yeah. with him yeah. when he's in American films. Yeah. Um, and he's great. It's kind of his big break, really, in the US, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah he's did they ever question that at any point? She does mention him something about being a being a police officer but not having citizenship but then when oh, okay. I was reading up about his character they said he was Irish American so none of it makes sense but we'll take okay. it anyway an illegal cop yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. does not make sense but anyway we're running out of time and we still have two more movies to get to if you want to join us here uh, with some of your thoughts on the best comedies of all time you can email us screentime at newstalk.com I'm talking to Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry now we mentioned Superbad I'll go quick I was really wrestling for my third choice because I, I do love Annie Hall as a movie the Woody Allen story is a bit complicated now and he's not been found guilty of anything. Let's not get into all that, but it is a fantastic movie that makes me have a laughter. Booksmart is one of the greatest comedies so of good. recent years Fabulous. that so I good. wanted to get as well. Anchorman, in terms of quotable lines, Anchorman is up there as well. But I, I landed on Superbad as a movie that makes me laugh the whole way through. And we talked about hit rates. It has a lot of hit rates in it. And it also has a lot of heart in it. Now, it is a very boyish movie I suppose if people who don't know the wonderful Jonah Hill who's 25 and meant to be playing a 17 year old but <laughs> they, they put some makeup on him and it works Michael Cena plays his pal and then we have a wonderful turn by uh, Christopher Mintz Plessy who plays McLovin uh, he's actually called Fogel and it's right at the end of school and they basically are going to a party and they want to hook up with two girls they're actually kind of in love with it's not just about sex there is a lot of sex in it but on some level they're in love with them they also want to get beer and they're trying to figure out how to get beer and it is a hilarious study of young boys because that's all they are even though they're teenager wanting to get their end away and wanting to get beer <laughs> and it's not the greatest movie ever made but it makes you howl with laughter and there are so many scenes in it that just live long in the memory not least of all when Fogel gets a fake ID but decides he only needs one name on this fake ID Wait, you changed your name to McLovin? <laughs> McLovin? What kind of a stupid name is that, Fogel? What, are you trying to be an Irish R&B singer? Oh, they let you pick any name you want when you get down there. And you landed on McLovin? Yeah, it was between that and Muhammad. Why the fuck would it be between that and Muhammad? Why don't you pick a common name like a normal person? Muhammad is the most commonly used name on Earth. Read a fuck for once. Fogel, have you ever actually met anyone named Muhammad? Have you actually ever met anyone named McLovin? No, that's why you picked a dumb name. Give me that. All right. It doesn't even have a first name. It just says McLovin. What? What name? What name? Who are you, Seal? Fogel? This ID says you're 25 years old. Why wouldn't you just put 21, man? Seth, 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 listen up, ass face. Every day, hundreds of kids go into the liquor store with their fake IDs, and every single one says they're 21. How many 21-year-olds do you think there are in this town? It's called strategy, all right? Let's stay calm, okay? Let's not lose our heads. It's, it's, it's a fine ID. It'll, it's gonna work. It's passable, okay? This, this isn't terrible. I mean, it's up to you, Fogel. This guy's either gonna think, here's another kid with a fake ID, or here's McLovin, the 25-year-old 
Hawaiian organ donor. <laughs> uh, and you know what? It, I feel like I'm defending it because it sounds kind of very immature. And maybe it is. But the writers, one of whom was Seth Rogen, they were kind of kicking back against things like American Pie, mm. which isn't a bad comedy, but that is just for want of a better phrase, dick jokes. Whereas Superbad has heart in it and it is a study of young men and there's sad moments where they realise they're going to go their separate ways, yeah, they do yeah. best pals and they're looking their last on some kind of youth and that, you know, Somerset Maugham quote, it's an illusion that youth is a happy time by those who've actually lost it. So there's more heart in it than you might realise but it is damn funny. So I make no apologies for Superbad. <laughs> so if any of you feel the need to come back at me, now's the time to do it quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, those, those, there was a definite trend for kind of the puerile, you know, teen mm. boy teen boy yeah. comedies. But I mean, like, you can't help but laugh at the yeah. silliness. And r- randomly, I was in America recently and my boyfriend bought an ID, a McLovin ID. So you can still get your hands oh, on wow. the actual McLovin ID. So yeah. I'm going to try and use it next time I go out to the pub and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Although I definitely do not look under 18. So you don't look like perhaps McLovin I won't. Uh, and I don't look like McLovin. But uh, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that you can still buy that. Sorry, Congress. No, no, it is very good. Um, I haven't seen it for, 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 for quite yeah. Well, but it is funny. It's one of those types of films where you're right. The teenagers kind of, you know, they are quite sad that everything's going to change after this night. But I always find it funny. Those characters are going to see each other the next day. How awkward is that the next day after you've had this big profound moment and then you have the whole summer ahead of you? So what I'm saying is there could be a super bad too there, John. Yeah, there could be. And, you know, you were talking about or one of you was talking about in Some Like It Hot that the women... The women aren't being offended in it. Are there people aren't being cruel to the women, even mm-hmm. as distressed as women? I do think there is. It's not by any stretch 100%, but there is a slight attempt to write proper female characters. The two girls that they're in love with in this are slightly more rounded than you might expect from a pure oil comedy. It's not perfect, but it is very funny. Now, we come to our final choice in, in an hour that I've really enjoyed and laughed a lot about. Hope the listeners have as well. Chris, I'm, I'm noting a pattern here. All of these movies are romantic comedies. You all softy. They are, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and three romantic comedies that uh, I mentioned earlier knew how to do the romance side of things, yeah. right? Um, probably learned an awful lot about romance from When Harry <laughs> Met Sally. Um, this is the perfect romantic comedy. And in case you didn't hear that through the laughter when, when Harry, Harry met, met Sally uh, it is the perf- it's one of the, it's, it's a perfect film in fact and I was talking about runtime there I think yeah. it clocks in around an hour and a half okay. um, that, that's, all, that's all you need and I think you know the, the key to its perfection is that it came from a place of authenticity and you had Nora Ephron studying Rob Reiner's you know uh, friendship uh, friendships with, with various different producers his friendship with Billy Crystal um, you know how Rob Reiner was around this time because he was actually had just gone through a divorce with Penny Marsh and it came from real conversations you know the key conversation being is it possible for a man and woman to be friends without sex getting in the way of course it is but the answers that she was getting from all these Hollywood types made for a rich authentic screenplay and she was also going off and interviewing people Nora Ephron that is the fabulous Nora Ephron interviewing people about their own relationships you know couples who were actually working on the film those conversations then were actually turned into scenes with actors kind of you know yeah. giving us the, mm-hmm. the conversations back but the 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 chemistry between Billy Crystal uh, and Meg Ryan and this is immense. just I, it's so good that 
it's it it it's it's it distracts you from the fact that Billy Crystal at one stage is supposed to be playing a college kid. You know the makeup <laughs> yeah, and the hair and everything. Yeah. Their st- their chemistry is so good. Um, the uh, stuff Carrie Fisher in it is, is is fantastic. It's I think it's it's probably the sharpest. And I mean this is a big thing. I'm saying this is the sharpest Nora Ephron has ever been. Yeah. I don't think she ever had a bad day. No. Mm-hmm. It's just the perfect romantic comedy. It's so sweet and it also just continues to make me howl with laughter. It's also the perfect two-hander in that they yes. to have two leads they both play off each other so and they're both perfect and they're both given the right amount of screen time each and it all works perfect. Let's take a quick clip. Plus, you know, you just get to a certain point where you get tired of the whole thing. What whole thing? The whole life of a single guy thing. You meet someone, you have the safe lunch, you decide you like each other enough to move on to dinner. You go dancing, go back to her place, you have sex and the minute you're finished, you know what goes through your mind? How long do I have to lie here and hold her before I can get up and go home? Is 30 seconds enough? That's what you're thinking? Is that true? Sure. All men think that. How long do you like to be held afterwards? All night, right? See, that's the problem. Somewhere between 30 seconds and all night is your problem. I don't have a problem. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you just don't know you have a problem yet. and again yeah. it's one of those great comedies where they're all coming back to me like when he's all the scenes in where he's bemoaning uh, dating younger women at one point in his life and he's saying I said to a woman last night where were you when Kennedy was shot and she said Ted Kennedy's been shot <laughs> and, uh, of course the orgasm scene which was huge at the time like I yeah. remember seeing that was I too young to see it? I don't know anyway, but that was a big deal at the time. Are you a fan of this? Eva? Oh yeah, totally. And like Nora Ephron is an absolute, yeah. like a legend. And what I really like about her and her sister Delia Ephron as well, who wrote, wrote a really lovely book last year, is she often, you know, centres her stories around the kind of milieu that she was part of, you know, it's really distinctly the New York scene, you yeah. know, the creative scene. So she doesn't try to appeal to everybody by doing yeah. this universal story. And yet at the same time, it becomes this beautiful universal yeah. story, you know, and also uh, Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal's characters are really different in many yeah. ways he's so cynical and kind of fed up at life she's so beautiful and open hearted and it's really nice to see them connect and ha- have yeah. um, have that chemistry oh it's such a lovely cosy little film to watch in the autumn time I think as yeah, well yeah and the be- beautiful you were talking about the romance in it but where he lists the reason why it's a spoiler why he loves her towards the yeah. end on New Year's Eve it's absolutely beautiful gorgeous we're out of time. Were there any others that if we had more time you were keen that would have been mentioned not to put you on the spot? But we only picked three each, so. I think Booksmart that we did mention yeah. was was really up there for me. One of the best comedies of the last maybe 10, 10 years, I yeah. think, or so. Yeah, I think Booksmart. Uh, probably The Apartment. Oh, yes, oh, The yeah. Apartment. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's a Jack Lemmon yeah. trilogy now. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Gorgeous. Well, listen, this has been a blast. You've been listening to a special screen time with Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry. We've been talking about our favourite comedies. I've had a blast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Guys, thanks a million. Thanks so much. Thank you for thank coming you, in. Thank you. We've, I also want to thank Off The Ball, who lent us their studio. We're wearing nice headsets. We look like we're about to give you the scores from Bramble Lane or somewhere <laughs> like that. If you want to get in touch after the show and let us know, and I'll read them out next week, even some of the comedies we should have got to. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email us screentime at newstalk.com. I will just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm on News Talk. We've been having the funnies this week. Thank you for listening.